0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Well, welcome back to another week of wise and careful living. And man, I know I said this last time. Uh, but this has just been a very powerful uh, series. At least for me, it's been extremely powerful. God has been speaking very clearly uh, to me through this series. And I, ha- I think and I trust that he has been for you as well. And what we've learned through this series is that wise people follow a certain pattern of belief and behavior that maximizes their life. While, while foolish people simply waste their lives. And uh, we, we've learned that kind of in the first week that the wise care... And fools despair. And so, wise people seek out the wise ways ways that that life works, the way that life was supposed to work here on the earth. And so, that's what we've been kind of doing. We've been looking actually specifically at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And we've been taking each week one specific verse. And uh, we've been just breaking that down and unpacking it. And it's been just a very powerful, uh, good experience uh, for us. So today is going to be no different. In fact, if you missed one of the messages, I would encourage you to hop online to newlifexn.org and uh, watch the messages because they've just been packed full of, of truth and wisdom. And as we learn how to live wisely in this world, uh, that the, these messages are invaluable. So I would encourage you to do that. Now, today we're going to look at a specific verse, Ephesians chapter. 5, verse 19, and we're going to look at worship. We're going to actually get to talk about that, and I'm excited because I'm the worship arts pastor, so that immediately is intriguing to me, um, and I'm excited to share what I believe the Lord has for us today from His Word. And so uh, right now, if you would, take out your Bible if you have one. Uh, Go to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, if you have a phone, you want to use your Uversion Bible app, you can do that or any Bible app, navigate there. If you don't have either of those things, I do want to let you know that we have Bibles available. If you don't have a Bible at all, we want you to have a Bible. And they're available right out these doors. Uh, if you go out the doors, if you go out this side, turn right, if you go out this side, turn left. And they're at the table there, the Welcome Center table. Pick one of those Bibles up, we, we want you to have that. Uh, if you don't have anything else and you want to just read along on the screen, we encourage you to do that. We're just going to kind of dive right in this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. It says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And this morning, Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and illumine our hearts. God, show your word to us. Teach us from your word directly. God, our, our prayer today is that we will be changed by you as you teach us and lead us today as we learn about worship in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back and look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. This is our focus verse for today. It says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, our message title today is Write Worship, Write Worship. And the reason is because wise people realize there's a right way to worship. There's a right way to engage in this uh, process uh, known as worship. And so the take-home point for today is this. The wise worship God together and alone. Fools worship gods of their own. The wise worship God together and alone. Fools worship gods of their own. Now... As we dig into this idea of worship and what worship is, there's really two areas we have to address when it comes to this. And the first area is who or what deserves worship? Who or what deserves worship? And then the next area is actually the area that a lot of Christians, a lot of even scholars of of good character have disagreed on for many, many years, and that's how we worship But today, we're not going to be talking about how in terms of style and taste, okay? My goal is not to talk about music or buildings or anything like that. I mean, I'll be happy to talk about that with anybody who wants to talk about that later, but not today. That's not the goal of today. The goal of today is to get a solid biblical foundation, a solid biblical understanding of what right worship really is. And when we're done today, we'll actually see that it has nothing to do with this building or nothing to do with music or anything. It has to do with us and God. And so that's what we're going to see as we go into these two areas. But let's begin first with who or what deserves our worship. Now, we all worship something. We all worship something. We all worship something. And the thing that we do worship, we actually serve. We serve that thing That we worship. And the best way to answer that in our own life is to ask this question What in my life receives the most time, the most money, and the most energy? What in my my life receives the most time, the most money, and the most energy? Now, the answer to that question is usually the thing that we adore, the thing that we long to worship. Or maybe if we don't want to maybe think about it in those terms, it's at least the thing we want to serve, the thing we want to experience here on the earth. And it matters. In fact, I want to give you the definition of what worship is. Worship is this, it's the adoration or devotion comparable to religious homage shown toward a person, a principle, or a thing. So worship, really, we can, we can say it this way, what do you, what do I, Adore. Because whatever we adore, we worship. Whatever we adore, by definition, is what we worship. Now, I want to give you a few examples because sometimes I think it's helpful to get some concrete ideas here. So, how, you know, just in your own, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? That'd be kind of awkward. <laughs> I worship this now, okay? Just think about this in your heart. Okay, What do you adore? What do you worship? Some people uh, actually adore a relationship, like a, a husband or a wife, kids, a friendship. They spend a lot of time. They spend a lot of money. They spend a lot of energy pumping into those relationships. It might be a sexual relationship. Uh, it might be just a, a really good friendship, but you pump a lot of time. You adore this other person. Others of us, we, we may adore or have been thrown into a life of adoring alcohol, drugs. Uh, power is something that we can learn to adore. We, we will do anything that we can do to get power. We will spend as much time as it takes. We will invest as much money as it takes. We will give all of our energy in order to get power. So that can be something that we worship. Uh, and I'm going to get really, really close to some of you, particularly if you're 30 years of age or under, that thing in your pocket that goes, burr, burr, that can be something that you adore, your cell phone, your iPhone, right? That was pretty good sound, right? Some of you are probably like, was that my phone? <laughs> I know. I actually thought when I was younger that I would do voices for cartoons, but I'm really good at them. But anyway. Those things, those things in our lives that have become the focus of our life. In fact, a lot of people are addicted to their phone without even knowing it. People are addicted to their iPads or iPods. You might be addicted to uh, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, uh, if you're lucky enough to have one. Um, you might be addicted to a computer. might be even addicted to TV. Ooh, You might worship it, right? You sit down. That one's easy, right? You sit down every day and you pay homage to it. <laughs> Yeah, see, we all worship something, and whatever that thing is that we worship is what we serve. But you see, we weren't meant to worship stuff, and we weren't even meant to worship each other. We were created to worship God. In the beginning, God created everything, and everything was good. And in that goodness was a good and perfect relationship between us and between our Heavenly Father, And God put a deep desire inside of us to know him and to know him personally. And so we long to worship because God put that in our hearts. We long to have a deep, satisfying, good relationship with him. But what happened is sin wrecked that. And that natural relationship that we had with God is not natural anymore. In fact, it's, it's very atypical. It doesn't happen naturally in our life because sin has control. And so we seek to fill that void in our life, that longing for worship with whatever we can get our hands on, with whatever we, we can in order to fill that feeling of, of just longing and desire for something more. But that longing and desire was put there by God for God. In fact, John Piper said this in his book, Desiring God. I think this is just so powerful. God is the greatest thing that exists, ever has existed or ever will exist. Therefore, for us to glory in anything else would be sin. There is, never, there is nothing greater than God. There is no calling greater than praising God. So you see, that desire to worship was put inside of us by our Creator, for our Creator. Therefore, when we worship anything but him, we're actually participating in sin. When we're giving stuff and and people and things in our life more attention than God, then we're not living for God. We're living for that thing or that person. And worship, right worship, begins by understanding that we were created to worship God alone. Everything else is secondary. Secondary. Some of the things I listed in my list uh, of things, some of them might have resonated with you. Not all of those things are bad. Relationships are good. Friendship is good. Money is actually uh, not good or bad. It can be used for good. Even playing a video game can be really good for somebody who's stressed out and just needs a place to, to release that stress. It can be a good thing, but when it becomes and replaces God as our all-satisfying desire of our hearts, then it's wrong. God is the only one who is worthy of our worship. In fact, God knew that we were all screwed up, knew the sin that was in the world, and so he sent his son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death we should have died, and to rise again three days later, overcoming sin and death forever, offering us now a perfect life that we receive and embrace through faith in Jesus, and now we can be restored to God. We can have that right relationship with God. So if you've never done that, I want to encourage you today, please make that decision because you'll just keep filling your life with stuff that's not going to matter, and you're going to get hurt. There is only one God, and that one God is a true God. He is a true and good God. And he wants you to experience him and be, find your joy deeply in him. So it starts with knowing that we need to worship God. We need to worship him because of what he has done through Jesus. That's where it starts. So who or what do we worship? We worship God. We worship him each and every day. And I'm going to specifically say Jesus. We worship Jesus because our God has a name and, uh, and Jesus is his name. We worship Him. That's why Apostle Paul said, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. It only makes sense, actually, that verse only makes sense if we understand the verse before it where Paul says, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that makes tremendous sense when we understand the how part of worship. So we know who we're supposed to worship. Now we're going to get into the how do we worship because Paul makes it abundantly clear here that that we as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit will naturally want to sing songs and 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 praise God inside of our hearts but that doesn't kind of make sense very much so uh, in the end what we'll see from this section is that it doesn't matter what music we use it doesn't matter uh, the building that we have as long as Jesus is the all-consuming focus and adoration of our hearts that's what we'll learn after we look at this passage from John chapter 4. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 24. Now, it's not going to be on the screen for you, so if you have a Bible, you're welcome to read along, but I'd rather that you just picture this in your mind. Get this idea, this word picture, as, as I read this together. "'Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John.' Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give never will be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And and she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman replied, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, this is very important. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, in this passage, Jesus explained to the Samaritan woman exactly what right worship is. Now, I think it's interesting that the Samaritan woman, as she's having this conversation with Jesus and she's going a little bit deeper with him, and when she finds out that he can... He knows about her life without actually ever having met her. And she realizes, wow, this is a man of God. She doesn't go to her issues in her life. She goes right to worship. Isn't that interesting? How many of us, if Jesus was right here, we would say, you know, Jesus, I just really want to know how to worship. You see, I think what we would ask Jesus is, Jesus, I'm really struggling with my finances. Can you show me how to do this? Or I'm really struggling with this relationship. Can you please zap them? Because they are just annoying me, right? You know, we would ask Jesus something like that. Right, but she doesn't. She goes right to what really matters. She says, you know, Jesus, listen, or whoever you are. She didn't know who he was at the time. She said, listen, I see you're a prophet. I want to know how to worship. Because you say that you have to worship in Jerusalem. And we say we have to worship here on, on this mountain. So what's right? And Jesus lays it out for her. And, in fact, Jesus uses a word here in this, uh, in the, in this text For worship, called proskeneo. Now, that's the Greek translation of the Aramaic which Jesus spoke. It's also a translation from the Old Testament. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek in uh, around 300 to 200 BC, it was translated. That's before Jesus. Okay, the Old Testament was translated into Greek before Jesus was here. Um, They they translated a a Hebrew word called shakah, shows up first in Genesis chapter two, verse five. And, and it's it's worship. When you look at it in our English Bibles, it says worship, but shakah actually meant to bow down physically, or to the the literal translation is to kiss the hand of somebody like a like a dog would lick your hand. Okay, that's kind of gross, isn't it? But that's what shaka meant. It was, a, it was paying homage. It was out of reverence, getting down and, and bowing before somebody who deserved honor and respect. And so in the Old Testament, they used that word. But when it was translated into the Greek in the Septuagint, they used the word proskeneo. And that's the same word that we see translated here from the Greek text into our English text is the word proskeneo which means to bow down. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was taking something that the woman understood. She knew what worship was. She knew that it meant, you know, we, you guys worship in Jerusalem. You bow down uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, and, and you are there. But we, we worship here on this mountain, and we bow down here on this mountain. And you see, Jesus was using that term because that term represented an external, external physical location of worship. So the Jews in the Old Testament, they would either worship in the tabernacle or they would worship in the temple or they would worship wherever God's presence physically was here on the earth. They would worship there. But Jesus now is introducing the Samaritan woman to something completely different. Something brand new. In fact, he's kind of wrecking her idea of what worship really is because in her mind, worship happened here in this place. It was an external giving of sacrifices. It was an external uh, bowing down before the Lord. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not going to be that anymore. It's going to be something new. It's going to be internal, not external. It's going to be your heart, not your hands. It's going to have to do with all of you, not just going through the motions. And you see, that's what happened with proskuneo kind of worship. Jesus was addressing an issue that God was very concerned about. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see this all the time. The Jews were getting in trouble all the time because they would go through the motions. Proskuneo worship leads to fake worship a lot of times. Because it's simply going through the motions, coming up and doing what you need to do in order to please God and then going back and living your life like he doesn't exist. You see, God doesn't like that because that's not the way it was supposed to be from the beginning and it's not the way it's supposed to be now. God wants to be intimately involved with us. And so Jesus was saying to the woman, listen, it's not about where you are. It's not about what you say. It's not even about what you do physically. It's about what's going on inside of here. In fact, Jesus said it's coming, and it's actually here now. Now, the interesting thing about the word proskuneo is it's used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, in the New Testament, and it's used in the last book of the Bible called Revelation. But in the rest of the New Testament, in the letters that Paul wrote and in the letters of Peter, it's not mentioned except for one time. Now, isn't that interesting that that word, to bow down, isn't mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament except the Gospels and Revelation. And, and here's why. In the Gospels, when they use the word proskuneo, is because somebody was bowing down before Jesus who was fully man and fully God. He was real. He was geographically there so people would bow down before him. And in Revelation, we will all proskuneo before the Lord. We will bow down before him in a physical location. We will be with him. But now... He's not here physically. We can't see him here, and so we cannot bow down physically before him. And so the New Testament writers in the the letters, they knew that. And so they, they just emphasized what Jesus said here. We worship in spirit and in truth in spirit, and in truth. So, so the question comes up, so what is then right worship? And I believe that John 4.23 gives us the most direct biblical answer of what right, right worship is for us. And here it is. But the time is coming, and it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus directly addresses what we're talking about today. He addresses the who we're supposed to worship first, And then he addresses the how we're supposed to worship. Who are we supposed to worship? God the Father. We're supposed to worship him, and we can worship him now because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now, the how part is in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So that's what right worship is. It's worshiping God through Jesus via the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they are all different persons of the Trinity, but they're all one. Okay? It's, it's really hard to understand. I can't even fully understand it. All I can tell you is that I just believe that because that's what Scripture says. Okay? And it's really hard, but, but we worship God through Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we worship through Jesus. We put our faith in him. We put our trust in him. And then Jesus actually said, that it was better for him to go because when he would go, the Holy Spirit would come. And I love the word that Jesus said when he, he described the Holy Spirit. He said, the helper, the comforter. And what does the Holy Spirit do? What's his role? Jesus said his primary role is to lead us into truth. So that Holy Spirit that Jesus sent after he was sent back into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, the believers were filled up, and now they could worship because their spirits could engage With the spirit of god and so from the point of the day what they called pentecost it's just the day the holy spirit came down and filled up the believers from that day forward any person who puts their trust in jesus can receive the holy spirit and now worship jesus truly from the inside out not the outside in because the outside in doesn't work only the inside out Because And that's what we talk a lot about here at New Life. We've got to get our beliefs right because our beliefs ultimately dictate our actions. What we truly believe comes out in what we do. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he said, hey, listen, this thing, it's going to be spiritual. So the external has now become internal. Worship is no longer an external experience. It's an internal experience between us and the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful experience. It's inward. Now, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You see, when Jesus was saying that, when he was saying love the Lord with everything you are, I'm sure he had what he was talking about to the Samaritan woman in mind. Because when we worship God with our hearts and our souls, we engage God in our emotion and our will. And then we engage God with our mind in worship and then we engage God in our strength in worship. So in America, and really all over the world, but particularly in America as the intellectual capacity grows, a lot of believers are falling into this idea of, I can worship God kind of externally and with my mind and you know intellectually enjoy Him. But actually, biblically, that doesn't work because if we're truly going to love God, we have to love Him with everything that we are. Jesus deserves our affections more than any person, more than any thing, more than any idea on the earth. Jesus alone deserves everything that's inside of here. He deserves it. Not only because he's our creator, but because he came here and lived a life for us and died a death for us that we should have died. And now he offers us his life. He is worthy of our affections and our minds. I'm not saying don't think while you worship. You absolutely need to think. I'm a thinker. I love to think. I engage my mind as we're singing. I engage my mind, but I also allow the Holy Spirit to stir something rich deep down inside of me that I just want more of him in my life. You see, that's what we all need to do. We need to get past the idea of that we're just going to engage God. Now, some people engage God in these areas, great, but they don't engage God in the other areas of strength, That's actually our physical body. You see, what Jesus was talking about to the Samaritan woman was something way bigger than worship as she knew it. And it might even be way bigger than worship as we know it. Worship is way more than what we're doing right now. It's even more than just adoring God in our hearts, though that's part of it. It's actually using our strength to serve him. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. He said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, what Paul knew is that worship was to be done by the whole person, our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. Worship occurs when we give a glass of water to somebody who's in need, or when we help somebody, or when we simply come together and worship together. That's real worship. Worship is, is actually doing things for the Lord. In fact, when you read about worship in the New Testament letters, the word is often translated lithageo, which is simply this, to serve. While they were serving the Lord, while they were serving the Lord, and, I, and it happened all the time, while they were serving the Lord, the Holy Spirit would show up and he would give direction. And so the New Testament writers would use that word specifically for their, their term of worship. They were engaging God with their hearts, with their souls. They were singing together. They were meeting together. And they were serving the Lord. They were serving each other. And the Holy Spirit would direct and lead them. And Paul also said this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you Jesus said, remember what he said about the living water that will be inside of us? We will never thirst again. What he was talking about is that spirit, his spirit will come into us and it will bubble up and it will just keep flowing and keep flowing. We will never long for anything else again. We will never long for a relationship. We will never long long for a, a, a drug, an alcohol, if we will make Jesus our soul's, soul heart's desire. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what Paul was saying here when he said, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit because the natural outflow of that is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. As believers, there is nothing better than when the Holy Spirit fills us up and there's nothing we can do except sing and praise Him for what He has done. But notice Paul said, in your hearts. He didn't say here at New Life. He didn't say at the temple. He didn't say on the mountain. He said, in your hearts, Jesus needs to be the all-consuming, satisfying desire of our hearts. That is right worship. It doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if you, if you sing the songs we sing or if you sing hymns or if you sing a song you make up. It doesn't matter if you use drums, or guitars, or organ. You know, when Paul was writing this, the organ wasn't even invented yet. It was still a good 1,200 years or so out. It doesn't matter the physical experience as long as the internal experience is real and genuine. And we adore him from the inside out and the natural outflow will be singing and praising him. So this begs the question, and, and I just want to address this very briefly. What about corporate worship? What about what we're doing right now, right here? What, what about this? Because it kind of sounds like Jesus was saying that, you know, you can worship God anywhere by yourself. And it seems like Paul might even agree with that. But, but I would argue that you can do that, but you shouldn't do that. You can do that, but you shouldn't do that for two reasons. Number one, as a believer, we want to worship together right? Don't we want to, when we're filled up with the Holy Spirit, when we're singing and just loving Jesus, we just want to be with other people who are doing the same thing. But you know, sometimes we just need to be with people because maybe we don't want to worship God, but we know we should. And so when we come together, we will be encouraged to do that. That's the second part. And Paul actually addresses it. Well, I should not say Paul. The author of Hebrews addresses it. Scholars don't know who wrote Hebrews, but it seems to be um, very similar to Paul's letters. But it says this, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So you see, the writer of Hebrews was saying, listen, don't, don't neglect getting together, because what do you do when you're by yourself, right? A lot of times when we're by ourselves, we can get lazy and we can get careless, But When we come together, we can be exhorted. We can can be encouraged. We can uh, be filled up by the Spirit as God blesses us through other people. And here's one primary thing. When Jesus said in spirit and in truth, it's an inward and, and powerful thing. And in truth, a lot of times that happens right here as we preach the Word of God and we learn how to live for Him. So as we read His Word and as we engage His Word, we worship God in spirit and in truth because that's the way Jesus said we should worship. So we should never think of this as something we should not do because we need to worship together. We need each other. Transformational change happens in community because we can encourage each other, we can love each other when times get tough and we can explain to others, hey, I got through it like this. Here's how I trusted Jesus in this time. So we need this. We need what we're doing And I I believe faith comes by hearing. And so as we preach the word, there will be opportunities for people to believe and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So the commitment for this morning is this. I will worship Jesus daily this week. True worship is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We worship God through Jesus via the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning, I realized that all of us have been worshiping something. And I know that some of us, when I went through the list early on in the, in the message, there was something in your mind that, that popped in your mind. You know, I'm, I'm spending on an inordinate amount of time and money and effort in this area. And it might be something we need to lay down before the cross this morning and let God have his rightful place in our life. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your your eyes, please. And just you before the Lord right now, in your own heart, what is it that you need to give to him so that he can be your all-satisfying king? What do you need to lay down at the foot of the cross and look up to the cross and say, Thank you, Jesus that I can worship in spirit and in truth. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this. I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trust him right now. Just say, Jesus, I believe you lived the perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, and I accept your free gift of life that you give because you were resurrected. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. So right now in the quietness of your hearts, lay down those things that you worship because listen, those things are idols and God abhors idols. He alone deserves our worship. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Jesus, we can't say thank you enough for what you have done for us. So this morning, God, we pray that that you would take away these idols that are in our life, that we might truly and rightly worship you, that you would become our king, our savior, our master, and that we would serve you alone because you are good. your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, we pray, I pray this morning for those who have laid down idols before you. I pray, God, right now you'd fill them up like they've never been filled before with your spirit. I pray that you would, God, bless them. And Father, for those who maybe have made a decision to follow you today, I pray that you would help them commit their lives to you completely that they would love you with everything that they are, that they would stop loving the things of the world which are not satisfying, and trust you who is completely satisfying because we were created to do that. Father, I pray now you would fill us all up, that we can go out of here worshiping you in our hearts, our souls, minds, and strength, that you might receive all the glory and that we might enjoy you forever.